How long have you been in the Navy? Oh, the Blooded Life. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We have 40 years of naval service. And each week we discuss a potpourri of topics, which we like to call smoke pit topics. These are real world topics that concern us, our marriage, and our Navy with a sailor twist. So join us each week as we dive into the deep end. Booyah! Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to E14 Podcast. I'm Jamie Britt. And I'm Heath Britt. And together we are E14. We are super, super excited. This is the final closeout episode of our Hold Fast series. And we have an amazing guest with us today, Matt Perry from Matt Perry Racing. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here with y'all. We're so excited to get into this topic yes. of hold fast to your goals yes. because your story is so amazing but first gotta do it i have to do the <laughs> disclaimer because we have a lot of people that do not want us speaking on behalf oh, yeah. of them <laughs> all right so the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our own and not the united states navy or our respective commands or nascar since so, we do have a nascar yeah, driver definitely so you know what that means you can take it or leave it <laughs> all right so let's get let's dive let's into it. it. I'm ready on this cold day in Southeast Louisiana. Yeah, right. With the smoking lamps lighted, and uh, Matt, welcome, man. Thanks for showing up with us today. And I uh, just want to start off by asking, uh, so what did you? How did you get into racing, man? This is was this pre Navy or what? So let me let us know. We're, we're dying to know. So it it was pre Navy. My dad he used to be in the Navy as well. Whenever he wasn't at sea. We would go to the local dirt track nearby us, and ultimately that spawned the interest for me to want to get into racing uh, when I eventually could. Nice. Awesome. So dirt, dirt racing is where you started. How did you get into NASCAR? <laughs> so my first, uh, so I originally started on the drifting side down in Florida, and down in Orlando, a lot of those guys these days race in Formula Drift. Those were guys that originally got me my start and taught me marketing routes. Um, I did that, a little bit of drag racing before I even thought about joining the Navy, before I even graduated high school even. Wow. So break it down for us because I don't understand any of that. I'm not a racing uh, <laughs> extraordinaire. What is drift? What is or uh, draft so drifting is actually a sport where people take uh, corvettes nissan 240sx's they do engine modifications and they're actually sliding the cars and it's not just sliding necessarily for fun there's specific course that they run different points that they have to hit so it's a very complex sport in which you have to have really good knowledge and handling of your vehicle um, in multiple different conditions. Um, if you look up Formula Drift, that is the pinnacle of that sport. And drag racing is literally just straight line racing. Um, see how fast you can get down a quarter mile or eighth mile even. Right. So Drag racing. I, drag, I said draft. So drag racing, like point A, to point, <laughs> point a to point B, right? Just straight get there. So what is Matt Perry's favorite style? 
I would have to say on the NASCAR side, it's a split between NASCAR. Um, I've also come accustomed to really enjoying dirt racing lately. As you can see, I even have a dirt midget right there that I ran back in August. Awesome. This look like half of cars. If you're if you're listening to us audio wise, they look like half of a car. How many people can sit in there? Small. Just one. And <laughs> literally it is so on the NASCAR race car, I can stretch my arms out a little bit. You have the whole compartment just like a normal car, except there's only one seat. Um, and a dirt midget or sprint car is what people mistake them as. They're much smaller than a sprint car, uh, much less pow much less powerful than one. About a 500 horsepower difference between the two. Uh, but when you're sitting in this car, do you think my legs are straight out in front of me or straight below my seat? I don't even know don't even where know. you sit in that car. So normally. I'm trying to like figure this out. Your feet would be up here in an actual NASCAR race car. My feet are actually about here, wow. below my seat. And it's not even two pedals that go up and down. My gas pedal is straight up and down. And it's naturally, you'll accidentally step on the gas, just the weight of your leg. You have to lift up your leg. Oh, wow. Your brake is actually a bar that you slide forward and back. Oh, wow. So it's way different experience oh, wow. for me. <laughs> wow. It is like the break dancing. How tall are you, uh, Matt? I am 5 foot 11. So you're, you're a pretty tall guy. I mean, you're, so about a 6'1", six, 6'2", six, dude. Would he have issues getting in there? Yes, I have issues getting in there. Oh, really? You actually have to climb into these cars on the – you have to climb through <laughs> the roof of them. Oh, it, you can't oh, get through the side door on them. Oh, wow. There, there's crazy. actually in this race, I rolled the car and I had to wait till they flipped me over for me to be able to climb out. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's a, like that's... a big old coffin. I, know, I, like. I get a little claustrophobic. <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> imagine. Imagine, man. So take us back. Take us a little bit back because you started racing and then you joined the Navy. Why on mm -hmm. earth would you join the Navy if you already were beginning this racing journey? So like many people, if you live in a small town, there isn't a whole lot of growth uh, for different personalities. Some people, they do have a lot of growth in the community, but I just didn't. I was working at a dealership. I painted cars on the side at the other dealership. And I just didn't see much growth there. I wanted to get into automotives, ultimately. And I had college scholarships to go to the University of Northwestern Ohio. But when you start weighing the options, I'm going to go $40,000 in debt for college. Moving to get somewhere, buying the tools to get started in automotive community, it's about another $60,000 to get everything you need. That's hundred grand in debt right there. And... Have either of y'all gone through college outside of the military? I have, and we're still paying for it. <laughs> I lasted a year. <laughs> yeah, well, I did. I did the whole four yes, years. Uh, graduated from college in 2004. I'm showing my age, but it is 2021, and we're still paying for it. So it's a pain in the butt to pay off. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that was ultimately something I wanted to avoid. I, I wasn't comfortable going in debt. You never know what the economy is going to do to you. And uh, we've seen that perfectly this past year. True. It's true. So true. So tell us, okay, so then as you joined the Navy, you were uh, STG, which is not really automotive or anywhere close to. Not even Why did a you choose bit. that? Not even remotely close, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why did so, you do that right? Originally, I went into MEPS wanting to pick between five different jobs. I ended up getting my second one. So my first one, I wanted to get FT. And what drove me towards that was, obviously, you have STS, which is on submarines. But what I didn't realize, there's a whole electronic field you have to go into first before you can get picked up for that. So, But I still, Sonar Tech was second on my list that I wanted to do. And they had that job available, and I picked the electronic side. So I still, one, got the job, and two, got extra training on top of it for a six-year contract. So rather than just operating equipment, I also got to work and fix electronic equipment. I was always big into computers. I just never had the money to have a really expensive computer to work on when I was younger. <laughs> Man, you love tight spaces. I know. <laughs> it's a nice air-conditioned room, you know? You got a computer in front of you. It's, it's relaxing. I worked, I worked with STGs once. I, I was on the USS DeWert when DECOM the frigate. It's a frigate out of Mayport and STGs. It's the only time I ever worked with them. It's a good bunch of guys. They're kind of like us. Kind of like AT almost, uh, similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Worked very closely with y'all. Yeah. And my neighbor was STG in Florida. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us, um, how did you balance? So you went back, you continued to race while you were doing this whole Navy journey. How did you balance the two? So there was a little bit of a break there. When I first joined in, obviously, I didn't even have my own personal vehicle for about seven months. And then... I got out that, a race car driver without his own vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I got out to San Diego and I finally got my vehicle, went around meeting people, and then it kind of kicked up again when took a trip to Willow Springs and reconnected with a lot of those same guys that are in the drifting scene from down in Florida. A lot of them had moved out to Los Angeles. Do some autocross racing, a little bit of road course stuff here and there. This is before even NASCAR was an interest. I actually wasn't even watching NASCAR at the time. I had taken like a good four or five year break from watching NASCAR uh, before it even became an interest. I met a guy down at Willow Springs. Years later, he got into NASCAR and it sparked a overnight Facebook conversation how I could get into it because he was also active duty. He ultimately... Brought me on board of his team. He was moving up. A seat was opening up. Um, he taught me how much it was going to cost and how to get that money. So got so to work. Talk about up. that a little bit because I this is brand new news to yeah. to me and to you. Yeah, I think yeah, when yeah. we read that, we we were like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about how much it costs to get into NASCAR. So my first race was with a bottom marker team up in Idaho. And, well, I mean, bottom marker, 
the equipment isn't top end, it's not fast, but it has potential the right person's behind the wheel. Um, and sometimes breaks here and there. <laughs> so ultimately, what shocked me at first was I didn't realize that these seats, you had to pay for them. And that was something I had to get on board with real quick. It was about $3,000 for my first race. All said and done that weekend, I was out about $9,000 after getting to the track, paying for a rental, paying for a hotel room, paying for the race, paying for damages. That's what really got me. So you're talking about thousands of dollars, like we talk about hundreds of dollars. You know, if we wanted to get into a hobby and we're like, we paid 900 with like for this podcast, I think we've dumped about $900 and you just dumped $9,000 in a weekend and you're young at this point, right? Right. right. Young. I'm still 25. I was 21, 22 years old then when I made my first start. What was your rank at that time? I was the second class. I made second oh. class while I was on deployment just but before my two-year mark. Oodles of money. I mean, That's for true. a $9,000 That's weekend. expensive hobby. Hobby. Yeah. It is. Very <laughs> expensive hobby. <laughs> a lot of people think uh, golf is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're spending $200 on one club, yeah, that's yeah. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Every year clobbering it just as hard as Tiger Woods, you're breaking yeah. stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> so where'd you get this money? Did you sell drugs or no? <laughs> where'd you get all this money? So I had a little bit saved up, but to get my first start. So the conversation originally started in June 2017 and we were talking about september i picked up a second job so one of my friends that i met out in san diego he worked as a valet driver at the hard rock hotel they had a few positions opening up just my luck the manager there was a prior sonar technician i showed up to an interview and i was immediately hired the moment i walked through the door in uniform he didn't ask any more questions said you're hired and i was showing up to the ship at 7 a.m. in the morning for quarters, getting off at 4 p.m., immediately just driving down the road, changed clothes, and I was at work from 5 or 6 p.m. to sometimes as late as 11 to 1 a.m. And I did that every day of the week. Wow. Did you drive any cool cars, any celebrities or anything? (laughs) So I think the coolest day that we had there was, have you ever heard of the Cannonball Run? No. I see. I heard the movie. Yeah. So pretty much the same thing. So those guys were driving across. It's a cross-country drive that they do. Okay. And so you have Lamborghinis, Ferraris these high-end exotic cars just all of a sudden pulling up. It was about 30 cars that pulled up. Literally, these guys are looking at their $2 million cars like it's a Honda Civic to us. <laughs> like, Here's the keys. It's in sport mode. Have a little fun. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Here's $100. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah, right. So that was, that was a cool day. Did you take it to the track? <laughs> that's, the, that's the question there. The money question. No, I haven't taken any of those cars to the track. I've, yeah. <laughs> you got to be respectful with their cars. No, I know, no, 100%, 100%. No, I totally agree with you. So, um, 
So you to get money, you had some money saved up, then you got a second job, which helped pay for your habit or your mm -hmm. hobby, right? So uh, how long, how long now, and you were, were you on the ship then? You were on the I ship. was on the ship. So, so you had the second job, but you had, a, you had, of course, ob obligations to the Navy underway mm -hmm. time. So everybody was easy to work with, with your schedule. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately I'd been there for a few years. I was fully qualified in my rate. So that makes it much yes. easier. Everybody wants mm -hmm. to see you qualified in your rate first. Mm -hmm. um, and I was looking at extra collaterals on the ship as well. So it, it honestly was difficult to work with my schedules. Not it's bad. not easy doing your day job, then going to your night job and then oh. waking up four hours later and going right back to work. Yeah. Then you got it underway as well. And so, still racing, right? You were still racing. Yeah. So I was still racing. Um, so like my first race that week, we were on a two week underway. So I was scheduling everything two weeks in advance, making all the final arrangements, buying my plane tickets and everything. Mom was flying from Georgia, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, because that's the nearest airport. Yeah. So she helped me out a lot that weekend she flew across the country took care of the hotel the rental i literally pulled in on the ship on friday and saturday morning at 6 a.m my plane was taken off from san diego for idaho flew to idaho my mom picked me up at about 10 30 11 a.m we stopped at a chick-fil-a went straight to the track signed in i was in the car by one o'clock Go mom yeah, for picking Super up mom. the pieces. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. awesome and mom. and then you the all the, so I just want everybody to really grasp all while you're working two jobs, mm -hmm. you're going underway, you're trying to do collateral duties, and now you're flying for the week. Mom's helping you get registered for these races and stuff. What a crazy life you're living at this point. Yeah, it honestly that that whole weekend wasn't just that one that has been every weekend that i've gone for racing it is a very fast pace you're on to go there is no time to stop and smell the roses it's you're there to do your job got there to the track went out for practice had a little damage to the car had to fix that then we went out for qualifying started i think it was ninth or 12th for that race we started that day with about 20 cars at the end of the day there was only about five cars running oh, so wow. it, it was a very chaotic day i even smashed the back of my car in um and then finished that race day went back to the hotel i didn't sleep on my back for about two weeks after that race because <laughs> it was all oh, bruised wow. from my wreck oh wow flew back sunday got back underway on monday morning Oh my goodness, that's Ooh. crazy. So this I got I got another question. Just wrap my head around this. So the ship, right? The Navy put a lot of money into you, right? Obviously, STG mm -hmm. uh school and everything. So the Navy didn't give you hell for doing this. This is a considered a dangerous activity, right? So it is a high risk activity. There are actual there is actual paperwork you have to sign right. with and get approved by Navy. So I had to submit a high risk chit. I had to sit down for a safety briefing, show them the safety, what we're wearing to keep us safe from fires, how the cars are set up to keep us safe. And NASCAR has done a really great job at, over time, 
improving the car's safety to keep us drivers safe. Right. Because I knew a lot of guys that used to do bull riding, and that was a big deal. I can't imagine NASCAR mm-hmm. or racing. I, I could not. Those, I don't know how those guys do know. it. No, I mean, no, thank you. Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, take me back, man. Take me back to June 2018, uh, right? You've been racing. You're on the ship. Tell me about tell me about that that time frame. What happened? Um, ultimately, I was wanting to try something different. So before June 2018, I had an opportunity to go test a late model at Irwindale Speedway, which is one of the largely most known tracks out on the West Coast for short track racing. Went to my first one. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good came back a second time and really started showing some speed. They're like, wait a second, this this guy actually might be good at this. So we did about 10 or 15 more track days where we're just clicking off seconds. And then next thing you know, we're clicking off tenths of seconds and hundredths oh, wow. of a second, trying to break down into 18-second laps. Half a mile in 18.9 seconds It's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so we, we were working on all that kind of stuff and teach me different lines that way I would be good. And then June, July time line came along. Now it's when the actual conversation came up that there's a po- there's an opportunity for me to get behind the wheel. So then you start shifting to a marketing background. How do you get sponsors? How do you pay for these races? Cause I guarantee <laughs> I do not have the money to pay for all this out of my pocket. <laughs> I am not rich. I am living in a two-bedroom apartment, and I don't have much money left over. Yeah, right. Break right. it down for us. So you told you told me this. You told me there's three entities when it comes to racing. Yes. So when people think that drivers just get hired on by teams and they get to race for free and make bonkers amount of money that's not always the case so a lot of the underfunded guys so you have nascar corporate that puts on the events puts on all the tv stuff does all those partnerships then you have the teams that build the cars provide the crew uh for race day and in the shop and sometimes they do actually help with our marketing stuff as well if we sign contracts with the team then you have the drivers and their marketing teams that go out and find the sponsorship funding, work with these corporate sponsors to not just provide them a spot in our car, but also how can I help your business grow? How can I help you save money? So you got to think of the sponsorship, even though if it's probably for only a few races, this you need to create something that's going to be good long-term for them to create a making that $30,000 investment worthwhile. So you are the investment. You mm-hmm. are the marketing tool. You yourself. And then Not, you help yep. them. Yeah, yeah, so you help them multiple different ways. Um, like one company or a few companies that I've partnered with and whatnot, uh, we've been able to, all right, let's say you make a product, all right, and it costs you this much to ship that product. I have another partner that can cut down your boxing costs, cut cut down your shipping costs, cut down how much it costs to actually make the product even. So they're making money 
and you're saving money, ultimately making more money off your product, if you're still saying, selling it for the same amount. So that's how a sponsorship works. You create these partnerships with other partners to pair them together, not just putting a logo on a race car. You're showing how you can help them grow. You're investing in them just as much, if not more, than they are investing in you. My mind is blown. Yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> I never knew how it worked. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just saw Days of Thunder and the Ricky, Bo Ricky Bobby story. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I know about race. Yeah, living in the big mansion and everything. Right. right. I've been right. slaving right. over this food for hours. And it's just Domino's and Wendy's. And Taco yeah. Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell. <laughs> so that, there you are at the height of well, what's what's picking up to be I the mean, height of your it. career. There you are. This is just before. The infamous crash. Yep. So we were already at the point where we were getting me ready to go run the NASCAR Canaan and Pro Series West, which is the grassroots marker into the national. It's like the gatekeeper into the national level series. So we were talking on races. We were talking on sponsorships, getting everything ready to go. Um, I went up and helped at the Sonoma Road Course race on June 24th uh, and 23rd of 2018. I drove back to San Diego, and when I got back to San Diego, I reached down to grab a water bottle. Note, this is all at 11 p.m. at night as well. Right. I was reaching down to grab a water bottle, which only takes about three seconds. Everybody does it. They reach down to your passenger yeah. seat, grab a water bottle. Looked up, car in front of me, shit the lanes at the last second. Lo and behold, there was a bus at a dead stop in the left lane. I had enough time to press on the clutch and the brake pedal before impact. And there was not much I could honestly do in that situation. Um, I remember all the lights on the dashboard going off, just relaxing before impacts. So that way I wouldn't be as sore afterwards. Um it was such a hard impact. I actually broke the clutch and the brake pedal off <laughs> in oh, the car, which yeah. helped my case a little bit because as I was rewind, as I was still in the car, it's like, okay, my legs are crossed, dashboard, and everything's pinned in, back bumper of the bus about a foot from my face. Like, okay, I'm hurt. And I'm definitely not climbing out of this car because my whole driver's store was bowed. So I called hey, work. You're, you're conscious, you're assessing the damage like a race car driver would? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at everything. I'm like, okay, this car's not driving away from this instant. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So, I went ahead. Damage. Yep, surveyed the damage, <laughs> surveyed my injuries. I couldn't really lift my left leg at all. It was also both legs were pinned down by the dashboard. So, I went ahead, called 911. Um, so that way they can start heading over, got off the phone with them, called work. I was like, look, I just been in a car wreck and it looks like it's bad enough. They're probably going to have to use the jaws of life to get me out of here. So I, I don't think I'm going to be at work tomorrow, guys. Like, okay. Getting that, no. getting that call from your sailor, like, uh, hey, by the way, <laughs> the, the back bumper is like by my face and you're like assessing all the damage to them. <laughs> So, um, they, I, I had a conversation with my uncle about this because generally police officers have come up to enough accidents where they realize, 
whether that person probably lived or not. And yeah. mine was the case where we don't think you lived through that wreck, honestly. Wow. So there was nobody coming to check up on me. Um, they pretty much just presumed me dead on scene right there until about three or five minutes after everybody had arrived on scene. I was like, look, I'm not staying in this car. I see a little bit of smoke. I'm getting out of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> so push the dashboard out, crawled out the pasture side, and everybody's looking at me like, oh, he's okay. <laughs> Hobbled in. away. So, uh, Matt, where, where were you? You were on your way to San Diego. Is that where you got in the wreck, or was it prior to getting to California? So, I was, I, I was living in San Diego. I was heading home. Where, um, where, you, where would you actually get in the wreck at? Where? Where were you at in California? Oh, on the five south in San Diego. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, right by Chula Vista, almost. Yes. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, I mm -hmm. want you to go back because I, I want to hear more details on this because you said something that's so interesting to me, and you said as soon as you saw it, you hit the brake, you hit the clutch, and you relaxed your body. Yeah. Yep. You know that's your training as a race car driver. That if you had not done that, could you possibly be here with us today? I think I'd still honestly be here today, okay. to be honest. But I think that my bodily injuries could have been a lot worse. Um, yeah. So my body was already bruised head to toe after that wreck. Um, if I had tensed up. So my first accident that September 2017, mm -hmm. I had back to my race car into the wall. I took a turn just a hair too wide, clipped the wall, and that ultimately led to me backing into the fence. I tensed up before impact and got pretty hurt. So wow. I knew in my head, okay, don't tense up before this. Just clutch brake and relax. Don't try to fight it. Otherwise, you start bending the steering wheel and hurting arm muscles you dislocate a shoulder, stuff like that. Um, the wreck honestly didn't feel that bad to me. It, it was actually kind of calm. As oh, wow. as crazy as it was, um, I, it, it honestly wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I just can't imagine me myself relaxing before I hit. I know that's you know that what that's crazy that's to me crazy. that you just were able to just sit there and let it happen because i've been yeah. in a couple of accidents not always tense up just have it i can't help it yeah th there's there's a lot of things that run through people's heads a normal person who's not used to cart wrecks um especially high speed wrecks like that where you're going 70 miles an hour you're going to get pretty scared coming up to that knowing there's not much you can do where i'm looking at okay clutch brake is there an area i can escape from this wreck Right. I was looking to the side. There was a truck next to me. Obviously, I couldn't go that way. I looked to the left. I had the center divider. There wasn't much I could do here in this situation. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. So you, you did get hurt, though. You, you hobbled away, but you did get hurt from this wreck. Mm -hmm. So I had the standard seatbelt bruise going across the body. I had... Fully torn to PCL ligament in my left knee and crushed a lot of soft tissue in my left and right leg. More so my left leg. Um, and banged up my right ankle from it hitting the floorboard. So that 
ultimately led to me hobbling away. I don't think I would normally would have hobbled away. I just think my adrenaline was through the roof after that one. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I walked around a little bit, got a few photos of the wreck, and then they were like, hey, how do you feel? I'm like, mm, I think it hurts. And my knee hurts a little bit. They were like, a little bit? Yeah. How about you get on this stretcher and we go and check you out? <laughs> The world's most calmest yeah, right. <laughs> victim. Right. Wreck <laughs> victim. Yeah. So they took me to the hospital. I was, and that's when the pain started to set in. So right before I was getting out of the ambulance, I, the pain was high. I was like, hey, can I get something for the pain? And they're like, hey, did what the morphine that we gave you on the ride here help at all? I was like, y'all gave me morphine? Yeah, that didn't do anything for me at all. Oh, wow. So they had to really step up the pain medication for about six hours as I'm going in and out, CAT scans, MRIs, full body scans and everything to make sure I was good. It was a long night. And the worst part, okay, I'm not going to say the worst part. The worst part was the wreck and the injuries. The bad part was I charged my phone just enough uh, before I got back on the road. So that way I had enough power in case something happened before I got home. My phone was dead. Ah. So there was no way for anybody to get in contact with me. That was not an option. <laughs> um, so in the morning time, everybody's trying to figure out where I was at. Little did they know, I had called my roommate who uh, was passed out. So he wasn't getting that voicemail till he woke up the next morning. <laughs> That hey, I'm going to this hospital. I'm okay, um, but I think I'm going to be here for a few days. Can you bring my phone charger, please? I could really use that. And then my phone died. Oh, Everybody's like, "You're more worried about your phone charger than actual." Come on, dude. <laughs> You're like I got people to contact. Yeah, I got, hey, I got people important. dependent on I, me. <laughs> I got things to do. I, I'm not going to just sit and watch TV all day. <laughs> bring me my phone charger. Yeah. So after the dust settled, right? So you get to the hospital, you know, uh, you got your charger finally. Um, so, so what was like, what couldn't you do? What was your, what was your disabilities? What was your limitations? So I, I, I couldn't walk, honestly. Um, so it was a day or two after the wreck that we first tried to, to get me out of bed. They observed all the x-rays, made sure I didn't have any broken bones. And that was our first time trying to get me to stand up again. I realized I have no stability at all, largely related to the PCL ligament. So um, on top of that, I didn't have the strength to stand up. I had a lot of bruises and the crushed soft tissue. So I was on crutches. I could support myself in my right leg, but not that well. Because um, I almost had also crushed a lot of soft tissue in that leg. So... They sent me home. They're like, okay, you're good to go after three days in the hospital. My friends came and picked me up. I went home. My mom was like, you should just take a few days and relax. I'm like, yeah, I will. Next phone call was to Enterprise to go pick up my rental car. She's like, don't you want to stay a second out of a car? <laughs> don't you just want to relax? I can imagine the, mo the mom and her is like, please stay out of the cars, please. Yeah, she she calls me like five hours later and she's like, how's relaxing at home? I was like, 
oh, I, I got my rental car. I'm driving home right now. She's like, you what? <laughs> <laughs> but so you you were able to drive even though one leg was shot? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't yeah. drive manual transmission, but right, right. You can drive on I got a nice Cadillac from Enterprise. I didn't realize I signed up for like the premier rental policy that Geico had. Wow. So nice. because they say like $45 a day is all the cover. I'm like, I'm 22, 23 years old. That does not cover a rental. No. A rental for me is like $200 a day. <laughs> so, uh, how did that? So you you went from like making a name. You were making a name for yourself up until the wreck. Mm -hmm. you started gaining traction yeah. in your career, and uh, you hit the wreck. Couldn't really walk well. Obviously, couldn't drive. How did that affect your psyche? What were you thinking? Um, it honestly hit me pretty hard. Um, that was a few very sad months. So I got removed from the ship because obviously I couldn't walk. I was yeah. starting physical therapy. Uh, luckily, they sent me to another shore billet. T they sent me TAD to another place over in Point Loma, which I ended up working with one of my old chiefs that was on the boat. Uh, that was pretty cool. But then there's also the factor, I'm not at the racetrack. I'm not doing what I love. I can't work at the valet desk. I'm not with my friends. I am not on the ship, and the ship is about to deploy. When I got a word that I didn't just crush soft tissue and this would recover. I had fully torn my PCL ligament and you're not going on this deployment. That hit me hard because all my friends were leaving and I didn't know anybody else in San Diego. Wow. What a low, low, low point. Low. Mm -hmm. I, without your friends and your mom didn't live close by, right? Um, yeah. So you're, you're just there battling that that demon alone pretty you much can't burn off steam on the racetrack yeah you went from a high speed life to i couldn't even go in my racing simulator at all oh wow holy cow so what how what brought you through that because you know i can't imagine just having that high speed lifestyle just suddenly come to a halt how did you get through that so I did a little bit, I did a lot of physical therapy, but they got me a custom brace. So that way it was a little bit easier for me to walk and get off the crutches. Um, I think the biggest thing that helped me was still trying to stay at the racetrack. So I would still on the weekends drive two or three hours and go watch the races, hang out with the other racers. I remember, so the wreck happened July, June 25th, the July 4th weekend. I was at Irwindale Speedway walking into the pits and some of my friends like Diego Alvarado, Ryan Vargas, who's currently an Xfinity driver, they were looking at me like, you were just dead a week ago. Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I love racing. So I kept in touch with the racing scene and I, in the next year, so Rewind a little bit. So I still kept with the racing scene. I still went to Daytona Architest, paired with a new team, even though I wasn't going to be behind the wheel for a while. I went to one dirt track. This is kind of where I got my entrance into the dirt racing side. Me and this guy named PJ Dyke, we were chatting, and ultimately I just wanted to keep around a racing scene. So I was helping him with marketing, taking photos, shooting video for him throughout the year. And that's honestly what helped keep my mental state up 
and hopeful throughout the year was working with him. I would go over to his house in the evenings, crawl under it, work with him, um, go to the racetrack, and I'd help him on race day as well. Just did everything I could to stay at the racetrack. Right. Yeah. So if you can't do it, at least be around it. At least be around it, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like going to therapy. Mm-hmm. That, that was my therapy. Racing oh, has yeah. always been my therapy because when you're in a race car, there's too much going on to be thinking about anything else. Right. As chaotic as being on a racetrack can be, it is one of the most peaceful places to be as well. Wow. You in a car. It's well, literally just you in the car. There's other people around you trying to knock you into a wall, but hey, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Rubbing doors here and there yeah. and whatnot. No, no big deal. Yeah. At this point, what were the doctors telling you? Were they saying oh, yeah. that you were going to race again? or? Uh, yeah, so we, we knew that I was going to race again. We just knew it was going to be a very long process. Right. Okay. So I had the initial physical therapy. We were trying to use that because 80% of people don't need to get their PCL ligaments replaced. But if you're not if NFL football player, which I am not in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> um, you would have that muscle mass to support a PCL ligament. I did not. Plus, I crushed a lot of soft tissue that would support. Right. So physical therapy wasn't working. We opted for the surgery. And originally, my surgery was supposed to be late in the year. We had a spot open up in October. I got the surgery. By December timeline, I was able to start putting weight back on it again. Wow. Still two months, though. Still two months, and I still had a long road to go. Yeah. It was after December. I think it was about a good six, seven months before I got to July 2nd of 2019 when I got my approval. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, July 2nd, 2019, when you finally get your approval, it's like you have four-leaf clovers shoved up your butt or something. <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> right? that's a good line. It's true. <laughs> I, I clearly remember the doctor walking out after he signed the papers. I looked at the papers, and I bawled out crying. I bet. So, okay. So June of 18. So over, over a year, mm-hmm. you're sidelined. Mm-hmm. So over a year of just that, that just coming back. Yeah. Pretty good, pretty good comeback story, man. Yeah. Come back. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, so I had one race in 20. So I didn't get a race in 2019. And then we were planning for a lot of stuff in 2020. Then COVID hit. That canceled a lot of the plans. But I had an opportunity. Actually, was it 2019? I got into a dirt late model. That was the one race I got that year. We had a lot more planned for 2020. Right. (laughs) Now I get my dates right. (laughs) And COVID hit. That ruined a lot of those plans. Yeah. and I had to turn and help my sponsors out to help keep them afloat through the pandemic, help support them. So I sidelined racing. Um, and who gave me a sponsorship, I gave them their money back. So that way they could stay afloat. It wasn't going to be right for me to hold on to money when they're struggling. Yeah. So short term, help them out. 
I had an opportunity July timeline come across my desk. So I was just got off work. I was sitting at home and I didn't have a team to run with. Everything had just gone downhill and I couldn't travel either because of COVID and the military travel bans. Yep. So we have a group on Facebook where people post up their cars for rent <laughs> and Spears Modified Tour on the West Coast is the highest level for modified racing out there. 750 horsepower cars, a little 2,400 pound chassis, wow. and no downforce. So, <laughs> and skinny tires as well versus yeah. Yeah, the man. East Coast Tour, which has like two foot long, two foot wide tires. Right. So, I didn't think that I was going to be able to run that. I was like, that has got to be an expensive ride. No way I'm even going to entertain it. 15 people called me within like five to 10 minutes. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll entertain it. Called up the guy named Dave Ars. We got a talking. Turned out it was a lot, lot less than I was expecting. So we went forward with it and went out to Irwindale two weeks later to go racing. And immediately out, you could see a little bit of rust from two years out of an asphalt yeah. car. <laughs> but by final practice, we were one one thousandth of a second off the leader, faster wow. than a lot of previous champions of the series and running consistent with them as well. Wow. And that was on old tires where they were on new tires. Right. Wow. So that that's where the comeback kid started to come up at that point. Um, a lot of my friends out in Tennessee and in, in, uh, North Carolina here were hitting me up like, hey, we're hearing what's going on. What happened? And I <laughs> had to explain to them a little bit. We had a poor qualifying because my face mask flew out of the car and distracted me. And I thought it was debris on the track next time came around, so I shifted my line. So we qualified at eight, and the top eight guys you pull a number out of a bag, and that's your starting position. So then we were starting third. And at, by the end of the race, we finished eighth after shuffling back and coming back and forth multiple times. Yeah. Um, tires just got worn out. There wasn't much left I could do. I was pinned on the bottom of the track and couldn't get around one guy. So it, it honestly was a great day of racing. Um, and that's where the comeback kit came back. How many uh, people? So you you were eighth, or you you started eighth. You qualified eighth out of how many? I think there were seventeen or twenty cars that weekend. Wow! And you hadn't raced in a couple of years. Yeah, and those those guys were winning races every weekend. Right, right. You show up after a year hiatus, being you know broke from the wreck, and then COVID and everything else, and you show up and you and you qualify eighth. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive, man. I mean, Pretty impressive overall. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Damn right. Definitely. All right. So now we're now we're on the comeback kid tour. We're on the comeback kid train. Yes. <laughs> we are. We're fans. Yes. <laughs> what, <laughs> what do we have in store for us this year? What are you going to be doing? So after running the dirt midget last year, I showed speed in that uh, day. Uh, Mr. Prickett wants to work with me some more and help build up my pace. So we're actually planning to buy 600 micro sprint here soon. 
uh, to run out here locally in North Carolina. With the COVID pandemic, it's still hard to get sponsorships. So our focus right now is not so much on the NASCAR side. It's focused towards going and run the Chili Bowl Nationals next year um, and doing a little bit of the dirt racing. If we can get a few asphalt races in this year, I'll be happy, but it's not looking likely right now without sponsorship backing. Um, we had a few lined up, but with uh, recent events going on with COVID and political, it wasn't able to work out right now. So we'll get there eventually, yeah. um, but we're going to take every opportunity that we have now and go and try to compete for wins. So for those of you that I'm going to sidebar here because for I just have to mention this for those of you that don't know Matt Perry is a recruiter and yes. if you know anything about recruiter we live the high speed low drag lifestyle oh. as far as working hours and going out and finding people and so you just jumped out of the frying pan yeah. into the fire and you're still working on on racing but tell us how you got into recruiting because it's an interesting story so that july 4th weekend of 2019 i was down at daytona hanging out in the media center it was raining so we weren't doing any racing and with troops at the track we bring a lot of sailors from local bases out to come watch the race this is all prior COVID, though mm -hmm. um so I noticed that there were a few chiefs hanging out in the media center. Saw them walk outside. I figured I'll go chat with them. I didn't have anything going on for about an hour. So I just went and chatted with them. Um, and Master Chief Davis, Command Master Chief Davis from HSM 40 in Jacksonville, he was out there. We got to talking. Ultimately, we were talking about the fact that I'm also a race car driver and active duty Navy. It just mm -hmm. got my approval to get back in the seat. What he asked me, what is my plans long-term? I was like, long-term for shore duty. I want to go shore duty. I want to go in recruiting and I want to be able to show people that you can do both. So you can chase a life outside of the military just as much as yours in the military. You work eight hours a day. You still have 16 more to do whatever you want. Yeah. Just a lot of kids these days, they don't see it that way. Yeah. Right. Because when you come home and spend four or five hours playing the Xbox, scrolling through TikTok, whatever, you're losing time that you could be working on a college degree, picking up a second job, maybe even starting a business. Those things are possible, but it takes 30 minutes, an hour of your day at least and that's not much. No. no, it's really not. It really isn't. No. So teaching people that stuff and being the living example. Look, I'm racing NASCAR. That takes a lot of time, especially when you look at the business marketing side of things. Mm -hmm. Then you also incorporate active duty military lifestyle, which, as you know, with recruiting, there's a lot of hours to go into that. Oh, not an easy <laughs> lifestyle. No. I mean, there's, a, there's a reason I've been in 25 years and never recruited. Yeah. I didn't want the lifestyle. <laughs> I feel like I got more gray hairs on this tour than anything. It's tough. So it, it is very tough. I got here back in November. Um, we uh, we had cut me the orders. Originally, I was supposed to go back out to sea for 18 months to finish up my sea tour. Mm -hmm. 
got the call, said, hey, how about this? We'll call it 18 months. Good. You don't owe it on the back end. What station do you specifically need to be in to make this work? And they paired me up here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And that is now where I work. That's where I also do all my racing out of. You got Bowman Gray Stadium right next door. You got shops just down the road. Wow. So it's a perfect place for me, honestly. Wow. I, and I love it. Again, it's not easy. Leaf clovers. North Carolina, <laughs> man. It's like the motherland of racing. <laughs> Harder NASCAR. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You can always moonshine on the side if you had to. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I do like my moonshine, though. Yeah, yeah. ain't nothing wrong with it. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with it. Uh, no. Grab you some white lightning. There you go. It's good for you. <laughs> so, Matt, we've enjoyed having you on the show. And I just want to uh, let you have a moment, real quick, to, to kind of let anybody know. Um, you know, we've heard about your struggle. The yep. topic is hold fast through your goals, which you have done and you have lived. Uh, what would what advice would you give to someone who is feeling like, you know, the storms of life are taking over and they can't keep their dream alive? Normally, when you quit, you're only a few feet short of reaching your goal to start off with. If I had quit at any time. I wouldn't have doors open. Simple things as posting one thing, not expecting where it's going to go, has got me very far. The things I put sometimes the littlest effort into thinking nothing about got me further than the stuff I put weeks into. So don't give up on your goals because you'll never know what's going to happen down the road. It could work out. It could fail. But I'd rather try and fail then never tried at all and left wondering what could have. Yeah. Wow. You're, you're young. Even when you're 40, 50 years old, you still have a lot of life left in you. So I would still be chasing my goals even now if I was 40, 50 years old, 60 years old. You still got a lot of life left in you. But don't give up short without knowing what actually could have happened. Great advice, man. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. Wow. I love that. Well, um, I guess that is a good wrap up to the end of the show. I have nothing more to say to that because that I can't follow that. But I will say that if you are uh, interested in emailing Matt and um, getting in touch with him, where can we find you? So you can find me in all my social media handles at Matt Perry Racing. You can reach out at mattperryracing.com or email me at mattperryracing at gmail.com. Awesome. And if you are interested in getting in touch with us, <laughs> well, we're nowhere near NASCAR drivers, no, but no. we are at e14podcast at gmail.com. We are on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast from, we are there in all of the social media platforms at e14podcast. We are there. And as always, we wish you fair winds and following seas.